Hi, hey, hello everybody, FPL teacher here bringing you Southampton 1, Arsenal 1. The surprise draw that had Arsenal with everything in control really comes under scrutiny here as we look at what Southampton continue to do well and what Arsenal can look forward to next up with relatively decent fixtures. Southampton. Hassan Huttel usually uses a 4-2-2-2 system, at least that is what he has been known for over the past couple of years. This time round, the 4-4-2 was slightly flatter with James Ward-Prowse and Ahmad Diallo now manning central midfield without Lavia and Ainsley Maitland now ineligible against his parent club, which means that the four-tiered system that Southampton usually has looked slightly different as Hassan Hutel sprung a surprise on the Arsenal back line. This time, he played El Yunusi as right wing back. He has done this before with Musa Ginebo at left wing back, but this time round, El Yunusi was the X factor here as he pushed all the way forward, taking a page out of Graham Potter's book, pressing alongside the front four to make a front five defense, pressing Arsenal's back five down. The prominence of this 5-3-2 only grew in the second part of the first half because El Yunusi took time to adjust to his new role as right wing back. The idea here is that El Yunusi would help the front two or maybe three of Aribo and the Armstrong brothers to help press Arsenal's back four down, rushing them into passes and then dropping back into midfield to help facilitate play. And this took a while because a lot of the time, Southampton would fail to win the second ball after pressing Arsenal successfully and this would lead to Arsenal starting a lot of their attacks from midfield without El Yunusi back there to help them out. Now eventually, El Yunusi got accustomed to his role and this was where we saw the likes of Adam Armstrong and Aribo really come into play despite having a couple of shots from range and corners and such. At least we know that they can sustain passages of play all triggered by James Watt-Prowse starting the ball in midfield. Now, for FPL purposes, we really have to figure out how to identify between Stuart Armstrong and Adam Armstrong here because Stuart Armstrong's equaliser really was atypical and it went against the run of play. El Yunusi's role, however, cannot be understated as his flexible positioning as a right midfielder, a right wing back, or even an attacking midfielder, whatever have you, all comes from the fact that he does not have to defend that right flank while he is attacking. So the idea here is that Southampton intentionally have one part of their pitch extremely crammed and crowded together, and this is where Perot will stand out. That left-sided flank of Adam Armstrong and Perot work extremely well together because Adam Armstrong is traditionally a striker put on the left wing. In order to move forward here, really, it just comes down to Stuart Armstrong's role as a silky, younger version of a striker and a typical number nine whose job really is to just make diagonal runs or make runs on the blind side of defenders just as Jamie Vardy does. Is he FPL conversation worthy? Perhaps after the World Cup. But for now, at least we know that El Yunusi will have extra options besides looking for Perot and Adam Armstrong on the left.
Arsenal, who continue to do well in their usual plan A system, with the left side triangle continuing to develop chances while the right side, as usual, engineer chances on their own. So a large part of Arsenal's productive play came through the rotations of two particular players. Number one, Gabriel Martinelli off that left flank really drove El Yunusi crazy simply because there were times where Martinelli challenged El Yunusi 1v1 and at times he positioned himself between Lianco and El Yunusi and it was very clear that it they had no idea how to pick him up. So Martinelli would pick up the ball from the flank, dribble inwards, whether laterally or diagonally, and he would cause a lot of havoc, setting up everybody else for chances. This unfortunately did not occur very often, but it did just enough in the opening 15 minutes for Granit Zaka to take the lead. Obviously this chaos was only an early part of possession because eventually the ball went out to the right side of White and Saka where they would cross for any runner in the box. The second beneficiary out of all of this was Martin Odegaard who had yet another free role taking advantage of Southampton's flat midfield. So without the opponent, which is in usually in the form of a direct defensive midfielder, Odegaard had all the time and space in the opening 15 minutes to dictate play. Of course, he, has, he had shots himself, just like last week, I think against Leeds. And here, this time round, his influence strangely waned in the second half and as well as towards the end of the first half, simply because Bukayo Saka actually had bigger influence and more space in theory. Because when you have an Arsenal side that faces against a deeper Southampton that play five at the back, three central defenders as well as three, sorry, two central midfielders, Odegaard in theory should not have a lot of space. Now, just because you're not prominent, it doesn't mean that you're not lethal because Odegaard did eventually feed Jesus the ball on the hour mark for Arsenal's most dangerous chance. And really, it was at that moment where Arsenal should have put the game to bed. So... In conclusion, right now, Granit Xhaka is the underrated player in Arsenal's Plan A, while Odegaard will continue to be productive throughout the game, all the way until the 90th minute, or at least until he is subbed for someone like Eddie Nketiah. Now, a quick word has to be given to Arsenal's defensive prospects moving forward simply because they play Forest and Wolves in the next three. The reality here is that Arsenal still has to balance European commitments and the unfortunate thing is that they have an away trip to Holland where they play PSV two days before they play Forest at home and at the same time they do have Brighton at home in the League Cup before they face Wolves at the weekend. So really the question comes down to how they manage their schedule and what we are monitoring here is the rest potential of their players. Arsenal, in the 1-0 win in midweek, where they had a blank because they played against PSV, fielded most of their starting 11, including some of their centre-backs as well as Granit Xhaka, which could have contributed to the draw here. But really, you are looking at how man management plays a factor as Arsenal has been on this Friday-Sunday schedule with some overlap between their starting 11 as well as their reserve.
there's going to be a lot of narrative that surrounds Arsenal here. But the reality is that after scoring three goals against Spurs and Liverpool like three game weeks and four game weeks ago, now they have only scored once against Leeds and once against Southampton more importantly conceding momentum especially in away games so i'm sure everyone would be happily holding arsenal assets for forest but if you are looking for differentials to own in the last two games right before the world cup break with two away games on their plate don't be afraid of losing arsenal assets in order to have short-term potential puns for the World Cup. Now, of course, this goes with the caveat that you don't have too much value stored in them because I know many managers have owned Arsenal assets such as Martinelli or William Saliba from 4.5 million. So really, the call is yours. But at this stage, perhaps the right thing to do is to prioritize points as most of these players are likely to fall in value post-World Cup anyway. This is FPL teacher speaking, who will review painfully the Leicester Wolves result next.